My friends, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2 in the gospel, and then we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. But can I invite you to stand with me as we receive this word together? Mark chapter 2, and I'm not going to read the entire story, although I hope you will, and maybe uh, spend some time reflecting on that. But I, I love this part, uh, this story here. It, it's rather humorous in some ways. But uh, Lord, uh, we just pray that this word would, uh, would, would search our hearts and challenge us today. Beginning with Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll begin with verse 22 and read into chapter 2 here. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. May we taste this morning that the Lord is good. You can be seated. A lady visited church one Sunday, and the sermon seemed to go on for quite some time, and many in the congregation were at that point of drifting away sleepily. But after the service, in order to be social, she walked up to a very sleepy-looking gentleman. She extended her hand in greeting and said, Hello, I'm Gladys Dunn. The man replied, you're not the only one. I'm glad it's done too. Now, I hope you don't know anything about that, but maybe that hits a little close to home this morning as we've been talking about, I love my church. I hope that that's, that is truly your experience. We're in this series called, I Love My Church. And as your pastor, I am challenging each of you to fall in love with God's church because the church is the community that Christ loves. We are the church. The church is much more than a building. It is us. Christ died for the church. When he comes, to, uh, when he comes again, he's going to receive his bride, the church, to himself. And so let me remind you this morning that the church is you. You are the church. And as loved people, I want you to know we were not meant to do life alone. 
We've been looking at the, the core values of our church that found people, find people, saved people, will serve people, growing people, change within. But let's this morning discuss our fourth core value, loved people don't do life alone. And my hope is that in this series, you're going to be challenged then, that, that you're going to think about where you are, and you'll be willing to think about what's the next step for me. And, and one of those steps might be taking that Welcome to Friends class on Saturday, November the 5th. Or you decide, you know what, I'm going to join a growth group, or I'm going to come to Wednesday night to Around the Table. You see, I believe the church is more than just showing up on Sunday. It's learning to love God's people as God loves his people. And, and you will know this, you already do, they aren't perfect, they will frustrate you, they will annoy you at times, but we're a family, and we are to care about one another. A little boy fell out of his bed in the middle of the night, when his mother went to his room to find out what had happened, the little boy said, Mom, I, I just don't know. I, I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. You know, that might be true of us this morning. We, we do that with our faith at times. We stay at the same place we got in. And we think because we show up that we're growing up. How many of us have grown up in church but never grew up in Christ? Well, I want to turn your attention to this fascinating story in the Gospel of Mark that we just read. And first, I, I want you to get a picture of what is happening here. Jesus is teaching the Word, the Bible says, at home. This may have, in fact, been his home in Capernaum. And the people have a hunger to hear what Jesus is saying. In fact, it says they are hearing the word of God. And so when you study the early church, one of the things that you will note in Acts chapter 2, 42, when the church is coming together, it says that the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, now, we could talk about a lot of these elements, but I want to focus for this morning's sake on this word. They devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching, and that word devoted means that they stuck to it like super glue. It was important to them because the teaching of the apostles was the teachings of Jesus. That's what they wanted to hear. I want to remind you this morning that our church is a community of one book, we believe that this is the inspired word of God. We believe this is the word of God that he has graciously given to us so that we might know what salvation truly looks like and how it can be found through Jesus Christ and him alone. But you know, it's, it's even more than that. This salvation that, that, that we have is a complete salvation. And so as you grow in Christ, you realize that this book has the answer to, to how we face addictions or forgive past abuse. We transform our attitude through the word. We deal with temptation. We endure painful experience. We develop in in-depth relationships, knowing by, by knowing more about God's nature and his will for us, it challenges us to live in holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, he said, man doesn't live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ought to be hungry then for God's word. In Capernaum that day, these people are hungry to receive the word, so much so that there is a large crowd. And I want to just stop right there and ask you, how hungry this morning would you say are you for God's word? 1 Peter chapter 2 says that the word is nutritional milk for young Christians. You know, when a baby is born, if it's healthy, it craves milk on a regular basis. We, uh, we, we have a couple of newborns around here, and any parent can tell you that, you know, at 3 a.m., the baby will let you know that it's time to eat. They'll let you know, I'm hungry. But that's good because it, that food helps them to grow up, to become mature, to get strong. The, the, the aspect, the attitude of a Christian ought to be what the psalmist said. Oh, how I love your word. I meditate it on it all day long. But the truth is, a lot of Christians have lost their appetite for God's word. Maybe you've seen the pitiful pictures in impoverished countries where children are suffering from malnutrition. You've probably seen those pictures of, of young babies and toddlers with their stomachs bloated, their faces hollow. You would think that these starving children were absolutely hungry. But you know, I've read that those babies in third world countries who haven't eaten for a very long time actually lose their appetites. When relief workers come in, they have to force feed those infants little sips of milk, little morsels of food, until they're nourished enough to develop and regain an appetite. Listen to me, a lack of appetite is a sign of severe illness. The same is true in the church. Now, we can't force feed you. We can't drag you to church or to a Bible study. But in this community, we really do want to create an environment where you can come to eat for your own spiritual survival. But I want to tell you how I think that happens. Look at this passage again. You read here that the crowd is, is hungry. They're packed in tight to hear Jesus. But notice this. Notice in verse 4, we are introduced to this paralyzed man with his friends. There is this paralytic who is completely dependent upon his friends. He's got four friends who are going to bring him to this meeting, but they can't get to Jesus. And do you see why? The Bible says it was because of the crowd. The crowd that loves Jesus, the crowd that is hungry for his word, was keeping this man from Jesus. Sometimes we think because we come to church on Sunday morning and are part of the crowd that we have connected with Jesus. Hey, we were there, we sang, we listened, we left. And problem is, nothing changed. 
So can I, can I make this observation this morning? I believe that one of the great inhibitions to transformation in so many Christians' lives is a fact, to, to discovering up there, coming down here, is in fact the fact that we are used to the crowd. Because in a crowd, you can get lost. You can be very alone in a crowd. You know what it feels like to be alone in a crowd? You ever had that sensation? Crowds come together for activities. Uh, they, they came to see a ball game, not to talk to you. There are work crowds and school crowds and church crowds, and we engage in crowds almost every day, I suspect, for most of us. And if you think about it, crowds have very little to do with community. It's a, kind of a pseudo-community, perhaps, based on activity and some superficial aspect. But Because in a crowd, uh, if someone does talk to you, they might know your name, but it goes to as deep as, hey, how are you doing? And what do you say? I'm fine. They say, go Bucks, and you say, go Bucks, and that's about as deep as it goes. Have you ever noticed in a crowd, everybody's fine? In a crowd, everything is fine. No one really knows you. No one knows your struggle. No one knows where you hurt. No one knows your victories. No one knows what you're going to do this afternoon. And no one really cares. And so there are a lot of people. But you're alone in the crowd. Do you realize how dangerous that can be even in a place like this? We, we can come together. We might fill the room. And people still feel alone. Now sometimes, let's be honest, that's the way people like it. They don't want to be known. They don't want to be take the risk of having to get to know someone and getting to know them and being accountable to them in some way and, and, and sometimes it's just easier that way. I don't need anyone. In fact, it's none of your business what's going on in my life. And though we might belong to the crowd, we're in isolation and in fact, if we're honest, we're not moving toward God and certainly not moving toward the community he wants us to be a part of. What I want you to see in this story then is the contrast between the crowd and these four friends. Crowds can actually keep you from Jesus. The real Jesus, the transforming power of Jesus. No one ever gets transformed by the crowd. A lot of us make the mistake of looking at the church crowd and mistaking the church crowd for community. As long as I'm hanging out in the crowd, the crowd is, may actually prohibit me from experiencing all that God wants me to. But if we have these friends, friends are people who share and get involved in your life. It goes beyond superficial. They are invested in your life. It's through relationships with your friends that you're going to, in fact, experience the blessing of Christ. And so Jesus talks about this, and I suspect that maybe this is the truest experience of ch in church. When he said in Matthew 18, he said this, 
He said, again, I truly tell you that if two or three of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You notice what's radical about that? It's about two or three. Not about crowds. This is so important that Jesus says something about that kind of community. You will experience me. You will experience my presence in a way that you will not do in a, in a large crowd, but also all by yourself. There's a way I experience the presence and healing of Jesus in the midst of two or three friends that I can't experience when I'm by myself. So I want to ask you this poignant question this morning. Who carries you? Who knows the stuff in your life that, that keeps you up at night? Who, who is that group, three or four people who maybe get up at night and pray for you because they know? A group of friends who love you so much that they're the ones who show up. Who carries you? Now, I want you to notice something. Friends can't, friends can't solve your problems here, but they can help carry you to Jesus. I don't know, maybe uh, 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 something I'm not quite as clear about, but women, I think maybe you have an easier time of this than men. And so men, I want to specifically challenge you this morning. You know, we have a men's group that meets on Saturday morning, and I appreciate what's going on there. It's a great group. They enjoy each other. They have a great leader. But I'd like, to, I'd like us to think about starting some new groups with our men. And I want you to know, guys, if you find yourself saying, hey, I'm in, I, I want to, to get together, I, I, I'd like to, to find some new friends too, and I'm going to ask you, to, before you leave this place this morning, would you take a connect card and say, Jeff, I'd like to think about a way that I can connect in ways that I haven't been doing in our church. Now, if you're a part of the men's group, that's great. If you'd like to maybe come on a different morning, I'm willing to do that. Maybe we have to form some new groups. But I want to sense how much hunger there is for that kind of authentic relationship. And it won't be easy. We'll have to think outside the box from time to time. But how can we do that and pursue it? I want to ask all of us this morning, how are we intentionally pursuing friendships in our church because listen it doesn't happen by accident i want to say thank you to those of you for instance who came out to the picnic last week that was interesting wasn't it the rain uh, putting up the tent hoping that mallory when she was baptized wasn't electrocuted by lightning and all of those kinds of things but thank you Sometimes that we, we need that experience together where we learn each other's names and we hear each other's hearts and we just have fun together. It means that, that we have to try. In order to make friends, guess what? We have to be friendly. Listen, you will not be at Friends Church for very long if you don't find some friends.
And I'm not talking this morning about friends on social media, the ones you try to impress with your TikTok dances or the photos from your exotic vacation and your trip to Golden Corral. You know, I got over 1,200 friends on Facebook. That's not community, is it? The people you argue with on Twitter, they're not your friends either. You know, the cell phone has changed dramatically the way we interact. And, and you know, in ways that is not always healthy, Listen, this just happened to us recently. We were finally together as a family in the same room. We had not been together for days, but perhaps for weeks for some of us. And I look up from my cell phone, and every one of us in the room is on their cell phone. We're not talking. We're not sharing. We're... Something is wrong with that picture. Tony Reinke observes, the smartphone is causing a social reversal. The desire to be alone when in public and never alone when in private. We are losing the ability to form community when we're together, it seems to me, and we're losing the ability to appreciate solitude when we're alone. So where do we go for community? Well, some go to bars. There's a community there. They won't judge you. They'll listen to you. You'll form a pseudo-community at the cost of a few beers. The Brown Stadium is full on Sunday afternoons with people who dress up alike, cheer alike. They're happy together. They're sad together. But that only goes so deep. I mean, where does one go when a woman discovers her husband is embezzling funds from work? Where, in the, where, where can one go if she finds out that, that, that her partner, her spouse, is talking about divorce? To whom do you go when you need some genuine Christian advice? When your teenage daughter announces she's pregnant and suddenly it seems like the whole world is caving in. Where do you go when you're hurt? You lost your job and it was your fault. You blew it. And so there's this shame mixed with this awareness of just being unemployed. Who do you tell? Financially, you were unwise and you made some mistakes and you need someone to talk to. Or you've discovered that the diagnosis was indeed cancer. And the prognosis is poor. Where do you go in those moments? Who is carrying you? That's what I, I want to challenge us this morning, that we look beyond the Sunday morning crowd and experience the, truly, uh, oppor the true opportunity that God lays out within a community like ours for, for joining a, a growth group or a Bible study or a prayer group. And I realize for a lot of us, that's just not easy. But talk to me or one of our pastors. Start your own group. 
I, I would love to know that every person who hears my voice is invested in some kind of network where they are uh, developing a Christian friendship where they are not alone. Somewhere on a regular basis, you're getting the opportunity to know others and develop friendships that carry you. Listen, we don't call ourselves the North Olmstead Crowd Church. We're North Olmstead Friends Church. We're friends of Jesus, and I pray we be friends of one another. We're passionate about developing life-giving relationships and friendships. We come together, yes, to worship, to study God's Word, but we also come to share together to encourage one another in all that, that we would become friends. You know, that's a kingdom word. That's the word Jesus used. He said, I have called you friends. So think about this. Jesus himself said, I, I can't fulfill God's purpose and be obedient all the way to the cross if it weren't for my friends. Remember how they carried him? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, he took three friends with him. And here's what Jesus said. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Carry me. Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I can't do this by myself. I can't do what the Father is asking me to do tomorrow, emotionally or spiritually, if you do not stand with me and carry me. I, I love this image, again, of this story of Matthew, or in Mark 2, when, when, he, when, when we see these gentlemen, these guys, they can't get to Jesus. What do they do? They knock a hole in the roof. Can you imagine? Wow! These are friends. No wonder Jesus looked at what just had happened and he says, your sins are forgiven. Who carries you? We all need to be carried from time to time. But let me take it another direction. Who are you carrying? A lot of people say, well, pastor, I, I don't need to be a part of a group. I'm just fine, thank you. How easy it is for us to fail to realize that transformation, real transformation calls us to be a friend to someone who's struggling. I mean, imagine what a difference it would make if in this place on a Sunday morning, instead of coming in with the attitude, okay, what am I going to get out of the service? Is it going to be good for me? And instead we came into this place with a genuine heart of saying, Lord, <laughs> help me to encourage someone today. When you come into this place, you're, you, you've got the radar on, who can I smile with? Who can I talk to? Who can I encourage and pray with? What a difference that would make in this place if we would intentionally be looking for a way to be a blessing to someone else when we come here. What a difference it would make. Now, listen, you say, well, again, I, I've got my life together. I don't need anybody else. Well, what better kind of person 
to help somebody than someone who has it all together. <laughs> and by the way, you may need someone someday, maybe tomorrow. St. Lawrence was martyred in 258 A.D., now, we remember him not because of his martyrdom, but for the fact that he was the archdeacon of Rome. His responsibilities included maintaining the sacred vessels of that small, struggling church at the time and distributing the alms to the poor. While he was archdeacon, the governor of Rome arrested Pope Sixtus, made him captive, and demanded, where is the treasure of the church? And the Pope would not tell, and they tortured him to death. He never did tell, but in his agony, he did happen to mention in his pain, somehow he, he mentioned in his pain the name of Archdeacon Lawrence. And so the governor, after he got rid of Pope Sixtus, went after the Archdeacon. He captured him, and he asked him the same question. Where is the treasure of the church? They demanded again and again, threatening him with the same fate as the fallen pope. And Lawrence replied, Governor, I cannot give it to you this instant, but if you will give me three days, I'll give you the treasure of the church. The governor said, well, you have three days. Lawrence left. Three days go by, three days later, Lawrence walks into the governor's courtyard and he's followed by a great flood of people. The governor walks out onto the balcony and said, Lawrence, where is the treasure of the church? And Lawrence stepped forward and he pointed to the crowd that accompanied him, consisting of the lame and the blind, the deaf, the poor. And he said, here are the treasures of the Christian church. I love that picture. I look at you all, and, and uh, forgive me, but sometimes I think, what a motley crew we are. <laughs> I laugh sometimes. We've got a lot of unnormal people in our church. Do you know this? One of the greatest gifts that God gives to his people is his people. So many people have confused this idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus with making their relationship with Jesus just personal. That's not what he meant. God never made us to live our life on our own. Ever since the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. That person sitting next to you, you might laugh, but they are of infinite worth, so much value that Christ himself said, I will die for that person so that they can live with me for eternity. If Christ thinks that's much of them, <laughs> what are you called to do? Carry them in your heart. And yes, let them carry you. May we be challenged this morning.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your mercy and grace. And one of the ways that you pour out your grace is through the very people in this room. And Lord, I have much to learn. I'm an introvert. I like to think of myself as self-sufficient. And yet, Lord, when I really look at my life, I realize how much I need others. Lord, in humility, I say, Lord, help me. And help me to be intentionally pursuing the kinds of relationships that will build me up, but also, Lord, give me the capacity to encourage and build others up. Help me to be faithful to that end. So, Lord, I pray right now each of us would consider where we are and are we stuck? Lord, help us to pursue growth in you. Help us to do that together. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you.